0: questions you always had,
1: the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Those in positions of power, the elites, are able to manipulate society for their benefit and believe they are entitled to impose their worldview of reality on humankind. Tonight, we discuss the octopus of global control and its eight tentacles which are wrapped around humanity and how uncovering the truth about the deep state can set you free. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Famburgas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Today's special guest is Charlie Robinson, the author of The Octopus of Global Control, a controversial and hilarious book that features the opinions of over 500 experts that expose and explain the century-long plan for world domination by the global elite. He had a front-row seat to the fraud and corruption in the mortgage industry during his 10-year career in Las Vegas real estate. He credits John Perkins' book Confessions of an Economic Hitman, a veteran of this program, as the final piece of the puzzle that helped him to really see how the American government operates. Charlie is an entrepreneur with a marketing degree from the University of Southern California and agrees with comedian Bill Hicks that everyone in marketing should kill themselves. Charlie Robinson joins us directly from somewhere in the United States. Hello, Charlie, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
0: Hi, Mel. I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me.
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for being with me today. I just finished the book, and we are in the same wavelength in many, many, many ways. But let me just mention this at the beginning. After reading the book, two philosophers come to mind. Actually, two philosopher comedians come to mind now while reading the book, George Carlin and Bill Higgs. Were you influenced by them?
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, two guys that were ahead of their time, that were criticized for being a little bit raw, um, but they couldn't help it because they were right. You know, when you're right and you know it, you know you don't worry about everybody else's opinion. I love George Carlin. I I, I remember clearly that that spot where he was on um, Bill Maher's show, and he just demolishes this idiotic politician that's sitting next to him, telling him he needs to pipe down and learn something. And he, he proceeds to explain how the elections are rigged and how the people in control, um, it's a selection process, not an election process. And that, uh, they don't want you to, they don't want the common people to be informed about this. And you see the politician trying to fight back. (laughs) It was, it was embarrassing. It was too easy for, for Carlin to dismantle him. And I, and I liked that. I liked that, um, you know, George Carlin sort of was used like verbal judo. You know, he took their words and used it against them, uh, their leverage, their power and used it against them and embarrassed a lot of people. And I, and you, you watch a, a stand up special from 2004, 2005 of George Carlin. And it's it's. It's scary how accurate he was. He saw it. And there was a point in his life where he sort of turned a little bit more from being optimistic to more on the dark side where he said, listen, I don't have a I, I don't have a stake in this anymore. Um, you know, I'm just uh, watching everybody. I'm watching the country circle the drain. And and, um, and and I can understand how you would get to that point to to be spending, you know, two decades of his life telling the truth in a funny way, pointing out the inconsistencies and the flaws with the, with the way the system is set up, and then watching people do nothing about it. I can understand why you would say, you know what, I've done my part. I'm just going to sit back here and watch the show.
1: Can any comedian today, Charlie, make a living since most of them, you know, whatever they say these days, people become offended with anything that you and I can say. Imagine a comedian. What's, what can they possibly do these days?
0: Well, if they, it depends on what their goal is, if their goal is to be a famous comedian with their own HBO special and the lead in uh, some movies and to go this sort of Eddie Murphy route, they can't do it. They can't do it in a way that would be very genuine if you don't care about that and you're willing to say whatever's on your mind and uh, not worry about trying to get corporate sponsors or corporate approval or network or media major media approval then you've got a chance you might not make as much money but you'll certainly have a uh, have some uh respect and credibility i see somebody like jimmy door his show is on youtube it's hilarious and um and he's just he's a stand-up comedian that got a you know started his own video podcast and it's and it's brilliant and um of course joe rogan too and he he's has done a nice job of of mixing not just uh not just as MMA guys from his background in in that, but also bringing in scientists and sort of pop culture people and comedians. And it's a nice blend. So if you're somebody that uh, that is interested, let's say you're somebody that's interested in MMA fighters and you watch a Joe Rogan, watch his podcast to see that, and you accidentally get exposed to someone like Randall Carlson or Graham Hancock, then you're like, wow, I never even knew about these guys. This is kind of inter- interesting too. And it's funny, I went to, speaking of Joe Rogan, I went to his stand-up show in Denver about, a year and a half ago, and he, when he came out, he says, "I want everyone to raise your hand if you're here because of your love of MMA." And probably half the crowd raised their hand. But the other, you know, the rest of you, are you here because I had Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson on my show this week? And the other half of the room raised their hand. And the one thing that was in common between all of them was that the place smelled like pot.
1: <laughs> well, which is something that he discusses quite frequently too. Now. You were in the mortgage industry. I was in the financial services industry for many years. So we both worked in the belly of the beast. And now, in our own ways, we're deconstructing the the beast. Now, tell me more about your journey and how and when your Eureka moment happened.
0: (laughs) Well, I'd love to tell you that on the morning of September 11th, uh, 2001, I understood fully that it was a false flag plot, but that would be inaccurate. I didn't. It took a couple years. Like I said, I worked in I worked in new home sales in Las Vegas for a long time. I remember during the boom and also on the bust. But I remember the epicenter
1: uh, of the boom and the bust. It and couldn't forward. have been
0: any. When the big short came out, the book, I read the book and then I watched the movie and it was like, um, you know, I, I felt like I was there again yep. because I was, I was involved. So on our, on the real estate side, I won't name the company, but, um, we were informed that we had a certain amount of incentive money. Think of it like a pool of money. Uh, so you'd have a hundred thousand dollars of incentive money and a buyer comes in. You could, that buyer could just take that hundred thousand and wipe it right off the price of the house. So a $500,000 house goes to 400,000 and you, you do the deal like that. Or we were instructed that we could take that pool of $100,000 and we could say, well, you know, the husband has a credit card and has a car loan and then the wife has a credit card and a car loan. What if we use that money to pay all those off? Now you don't have as much debt. Now your debt to income ratio looks higher and now you're qualified to buy this house. Well, that's illegal and (laughs) I had the audacity to raise my hand in a sales meeting and when that was being – told, we were told that that's what we were to do from now on. And I said, I asked my boss, have, have we cleared this with our legal department? And his response, I'll never forget it was, I'd rather beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. And I thought, Whoa, we're in trouble here. Um, I have a real estate license at, uh, at stake and I'm not interested in doing that. And, uh, I was later fired, not for that. Of course, they don't fire you for things like that. They find indirectly. the technicality. <laughs> right. And, and so, but I knew, I knew what it was about. So I, I you know, I saw that. I saw that fraud. I saw that insanity. I sold 12 houses in one day. I mean that is unsustainable and, and it's fantastic. But it's – it's uh, it, you knew that you were building a huge um, a house of cards that was uh, appropriate for Las Vegas that was built on very uh, rocky foundations. So I understood <clears> – <throat> you know, I was understanding the mortgage fraud. In 2007, though, I was heading out to Thailand to go on a scuba diving trip. I was really excited. Uh, It's going to get away and, you know, get away from the madness. And my buddy said, here, read this book. And he gave me Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. And it changed my life. I, I understood at that point about 911 I was you know I was familiar with now the the concept of false flags and I and I knew that I mean everybody knew that the wars were you know the Afghanistan and Iraq wars were really screwy and they they never really seemed to pencil out for people that had you know the ability for critical thinking so um but when I read that book it explained to me how the World Bank and the IMF are used as a tool to put uh countries in debt and it's not that different from the way like the mafia puts you in debt. You want to, you know, they come look, if you owe money, they come looking for you. And if you don't have the money, they can either break your kneecaps or they'll say, hey, why don't we, uh, you know, like in, uh, in Goodfellas, you know, <laughs> why don't we take over your nightclub, you know, and then burn it to the ground. So um, with the IMF and the World Bank, they would get these third world countries into um They'd sell them on the concept of a hydroelectric power plant as an example and saying, listen, you're out here in the middle of nowhere in Ecuador. You're going to have a dam. It's going to generate electricity. You'll have the ability to have lights on at night. Your children will be able to read at night. This is going to help everyone. You know, you'll get m- There's money to be made here, and we'll bring you into the, to the 20th century at this time, and we're talking about like the 1960s and 70s. Um, and it's going to only cost you this amount and the debt service will be offset by the, the revenue that you, you make. It's a, it's a no-brainer. Well, it's a rigged game because they know it's not going to cost that much. It's going to cost way more to build this hydroelectric plant. And, you, and they know that it's not going to generate the revenues they promised. So it's a mathematical certainty that this dam isn't going to pencil out no matter what they said. Now, the money didn't flow from the IMF to Ecuador. It flew it, – flowed from the IMF to the multinational engineering firms. Like in the case of John Perkins, it was a company called Maine. But now you would think of it as like Bechtel or Howard Burton. And so the money never really touches Ecuador. Or maybe the president or the guy who signs off on it gets a nice bank account in the Cayman Islands. But for, for everyone else, they're, they're stuck holding the bag on this debt that they can never repay. And as it becomes more clear, then they, you know, they come back to them say, "Gee, you know, it's a, it's a shame you can't afford this, this debt." But I think we might have a solution, and that might be for them to privatize their lumber industry and sell it to one of their buddies, or it might be that they want them to vote their way on a UN resolution, or it might be that they want to want the country to allow them, the U.S. to put a military base there, or something like that, something bad, something that doesn't benefit the country at all. And that's how the game is played. And if you if you play ball, a couple people get rich, the rest of the country get enslaved, and um, that's empire. And we're not, shouldn't be too surprised about that. If you look back on the, the history of the British Empire, you know it, it was never it was never uh, an altruistic endeavor for them. They weren't going to uh, to you know, enlighten people around the world. They are going to steal their resources. And, and, and the United States has done a very good job over the last 50 years of convincing the population that they are the good guys and they are spreading democra- democracy. You mean sp- spreading democracy by dropping bombs on people? I mean, it's insanity. The fact that people still say like America, love it or leave it, land of the free, home of the brave. It's, it's a total lie. It's a total fabricate. We're not the home of the free, and we're not the we're not the home of the brave, or the land of the free, or any of those things. We're the problem. I and I take no pleasure in saying that as an American. I don't like to think of us like that. But I have I have to be honest. That's what I see when I see this empire building that's going on, and 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 they never learn. You know the the, the people ramping up the empires, they never understand that they spread themselves too thin, usually militarily, and it crumbles. Like and it, Rome. And It's, it's going to happen again. So.
1: Like Rome. And, uh, you know, if, if countries don't play ball, we'll take uh, Iran as an example in the 50s, Mozedek didn't play ball, what happens? We send the shackles. And uh, if Torrijos in Panama doesn't play ball, we send them Allende in Chile, and the stories go on and on and on.
0: And we're watching it again right now. So for people that say they'll read that book and they'll go, "Oh well, yeah, it's so obvious that they wanted Mossadegh out of power." Well, look at so look at what they're doing to Assad and they're Gaddafi before look Assad. Gaddafi. To, you know, they ah. were doing, Gaddafi. Yeah, Gaddafi was a bad guy, and then he was a good guy, and then he was a dead guy, and then Hillary Clinton gloated about killing him. You know, and it's. it's You have to want when the United States when there's a full court press between the United States government and the mainstream media to demonize a certain person. Obviously, right now it's it's Putin number one, and it's Assad and it's um, Kim Jong Un. You have to wonder why that is. You have to under you have to wonder. Okay, maybe I can understand with Russia. Maybe they say, well, Russia's always been our enemy. Uh, Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. But we have a problem. We have to go invade. Syria because why? Because they're they're going to hurt us. It, it doesn't make any sense. They're, or we have to bomb Yemen because they're the poorest country on earth and they deserve to be bombed. I mean, I don't. Their their rationale for doing this makes no sense until you take a step back and you go, "Hmm, let's see who doesn't have a central bank. That would right. be North Korea. That would be Iran, and that would be Cuba." And who didn't have a central bank a couple of years ago, but Libya. now does Afghanistan, <laughs> Libya, Iraq, you know, so this is this is what happens. And uh, in the book, what I tried to do, I brought I put quotes from 500 different people that were involved in some way or had an opinion on some of the most important events in world history, because I think it's important to hear. Their words, people that were involved in it and and understand what they're saying, because a lot of times the words that they said, you're not made aware of because they're what they're saying is is they're painting, you know, they're they're exposing themselves as being complicit in crimes or murders or whatever. And you hear these quotes, and you go, "That can't be right." How? If that's right, I would never hear about it. Well, I don't know. You you haven't heard about David Rockefeller talking about confessing to being a a, wanting to put together a a one-world government because you're getting your news from the mainstream media, and they're not going to talk about that because he owned owned so much of the of the portion of the media. So you're not going to hear these things a lot of time. Doesn't mean they're not being said. Doesn't mean that they're not out there. It's just that you have to dig around. So between the the quotes from all these people. The seriousness of these topics, I lightened it up with my um, sort of dark sense of humor to try and help people get get through it. And I came about this because, you know, like a lot of people, I had uh, I had ruined a Thanksgiving dinner before by bringing up Building Seven of nine. Oh, you too. You did that oh, too. Yeah. Your family. So, <laughs> yep, yep. And what I realized is that when you're at the table and you're making your case and you know it pretty well but you can't show evidence of it, you wind up sounding disjointed and a bit insane. So with the book, one of my purposes of it was I thought, well, you know what, this would be for somebody that has blown up their Thanksgiving dinner once and then decided, you know what, I- I'm not interested in in debating these topics with people. This book can serve as um, something that a person could buy for their family, their friends, or somebody that, that has sort of... N- not understanding this in a way and uh, and the reason why it's good is that it covers you know like 50 different topics in here so you never know which is going to be the one topic or one event that triggers someone to go whoa hang on a second that doesn't sound right to me and because in my case it was building seven on 9-11 that I, you see that come down and everyone just goes uh that looks weird and i'm not a structural engineer and i'm not a physicist but i don't need to be to understand that that's a controlled demolition and once you Get that. Then you start to go down the proverbial rabbit hole because you you see how that's connected to something else. And you go, if that's a lie, then I wonder about this. And if that's a lie, so it just sort of builds from there and there. So with regards to the book, you know, you can someone can read it and maybe not not have an attachment to any of the events until maybe they get to the Boston bombing and they go, oh, my God, I didn't know anything about that. You mean they tweeted the Boston Globe tweeted twice before the bombing, saying that there was going to be a drill simulating a bombing in the same area at the same address. And then no, before,
1: oh, before you go to Boston, let's stay with nine eleven 11 for a moment because I, I heard from somebody lately who told me that Building 7, there was supposed to be another plane to crash into it. And that was supposed to be Flight 93, the one that quote unquote crashed in Shanksville, which is no evidence of a crash there, but apparently a rogue. Um, I don't know, probably a a military pilot shut it down even after refusing the orders to stand down. And that one blew in the sky. And that's why you could only find fragments. But that plane was supposedly the one that that was supposed to go there because they stored Enron. All the information about Enron and a bunch of other stuff was in that building.
0: Yeah. And Giuliani's uh, headquarters was there. And you talked to you see the guys from uh, like Barry Jennings. And one of the was one of the witnesses that was there who, of course, wound up getting murdered. Um, he was talking about how they got to that place, the, uh, the 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 command center. And they walked in and they said it was totally empty, except there were cups of hot coffee still there as if people had just gotten the order to get out of there. So you have to say, well. Well, with regard to nine eleven and Building Seven and all that stuff, looks kind of fishy, but that doesn't prove anything. Well, then I guess why would Rudy Giuliani and his whole crew not be in their indestructible fortress? Uh, why would they be somewhere else? Why would every single person not be there? And then you see that that, that building comes down. Well, now it makes sense because uh, somebody told him you don't want to be in that building because that building's coming down. And if you if you understand that. Building seven was wired for demolition, and I don't. And I'm not going to debate whether it was directed energy or nanothermite or any of that stuff. I mean, that stuff is is. We can get into that at another time, but the fact that that building came down in a controlled demolition. If building seven was wired, then one and two were wired as well. And you watch that. You see that unnatural, uh, pulver expl- that pulverization, dustification of those buildings, and you go, that doesn't look like any sort of. Uh, you know, building explosion that I would think of. But then again, you think, well, how many building explosions have I actually seen? Maybe that's a totally normal way for it to to turn into dust until you hear CNN a couple days later with a straight face trying to tell you that they'd found the hijackers past Muhammad yeah. Atta's yeah. passport intact a couple blocks away. It landed at the foot of an FBI agent in perfect condition. And I mean, if you hear the guy doing the, – the guy reading that statement, I, I don't know who he was, but he was at CNN. He, it was as if he couldn't believe that the words were actually coming out of his mouth because he even says, you know, it was found on the, on the sidewalk if you can believe that. No, actually, we can't believe that. We're not going to believe that. So for CNN – when CNN comes out and says, how dare you call us fake news? We're into – we're the mainstream media. We worked so hard to get this. News. You allowed a guy to go <laughs> on television and say that a paper passport was found. Why don't you just build the buildings out of hijackers' passports? Because apparently they're indestructible. You could, you could, you could have a nice, uh, make a nice living doing that. So, when you,
1: mentioned, oh, when yeah, you yeah. mentioned you were having a Thanksgiving dinner with your family, and of course, everybody's going to frown upon you because of these topics that they're not used to, I always suggest people to have the book. And obviously, you're familiar with our work, because otherwise, you wouldn't be saying Dustified, the, the, the work of Dr. Judy Wood, Where Did the Towers Go?, that explains forensically yeah. what happened there but you know i totally agree i'm uh, i'm in the middle i believe there was probably some exotic weaponry used because it just justified even the fire men that were coming out of the rubble were saying looks like a football field but at the same time i think that in case something happened with those planes or or whatever they used if it didn't work they needed to have a second a secondary way for plausible deniability and that would be you know uh controlled demolition for all of them
0: yes and benjamin netanyahu is on the record uh talking about writing a book in the mid 90s in which he he said that uh in the book you, you will have the you know you'll have the twin towers coming down by tactical nuke suitcases in the elevator shafts and it will be the fault of the uh of, of the iranians or some or palestinians or something And it's just ironic that it came that those two buildings came down, uh, turned into dust, and it was blamed on another country in the Middle East. I wonder how he knew that. I mean, that's just quite a um, that's quite a statement to make. But then again, but then again, uh, uh, William Cooper made this statement, too, and he he called it out and said something's going to happen and it's going to be pinned on. Osama bin Laden, and don't you believe it? Well, he he knew. I think he had a deep understanding of how this how this uh, wor- how this world works.
1: Let's talk about Bill Cooper for a moment. In November 2001. It, well, actually, before that, before that, it, it was probably in the late 90s. Uh, I think it was Bill Clinton who said that Bill Cooper, William Cooper, was the most dangerous man on radio. Then May of 20, uh, 2001 came along. He kind of predicted what you just said. After uh, 9-11 happened, well, he went unleashed. He was saying to everybody, look, I told you, and he realized where we were going. And in November 2001, the police showed up at his house and we know that he died. That's all we know. He was shot dead because supposedly he got into a, a firefight. I don't buy that. I think he was just offed. Your take on that.
0: I think he was off as well. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I I just recently watched an interview of his that was done in. Oh, I want to say it was ninety nineteen ninety one 1991 or so. And it's fascinating. He 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 starts off on the topic of UFOs. And but then but then he gets into the other aspects, the things that he's probably best known for. And it is it's it's impressive to see how to see how right on he was uh that's another one you know i mean we, we talk about george carlin and, and guys and bill hicks and guys like that and i wouldn't consider william cooper to be a comedian by any stretch but but he he was a public figure with a voice that people could hear and he was saying some things that sounded really crazy and now you look back on it and you go wow that is uh surprisingly accurate so it makes you question like okay 20 years from now who are we going to look back on and, and say, you know, that crazy guy that was saying all this nutty stuff? Wow. He's totally he he was totally
1: right. He was well, all you have off. to do is open. Behold, a pale horse right now. And you're going to see things that have been happening. See, he's been predicting this false flag school shooting as a way to confiscate guns from people for decades. And it's in the book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I had a good conversation with Wolfgang Halbig from uh, oh yeah, your, from, uh, yeah, from San, the Sandy, Sandy Hook Hooks, Yes, and um, yeah, he he is. Uh, he, there's a chapter in my book called "You're Sending the Wolf?" Question mark. And that is a sort of a, a nod to Pulp Fiction when they send the wolf. And in, in the movie, the wolf comes to town and fixes fixes everything for the guys involved. But in in my book, when the wolf comes to town, it creates a bunch of trouble for the uh, new town city council and you know he eventually had police showing up at his door in Florida that were sent because of his involvement his interest in trying to pick or, pick apart what the uh, what was going on in Newtown Connecticut and as somebody that was a former uh Florida State trooper and a principal and, and a, a school safety administrator you know that said to him you're on to something I mean when you start taking flack you know you're right over the target and if they had not bothered him they hadn't come out he would have never gotten involved in this whole fight but the fact that they sent two police there to tell him to shut up or they would arrest him uh that's probably the worst thing they could have done because they picked a guy that is that says listen i'm i'm old and i love my country and i'm going to get involved and figure this out and you know we'll just see what happens and if um and like I said, I had a good talk with him about it. And he, he, he gave me probably the best compliment I've had. He said, this book should be required reading for everybody that, uh, who's a high school senior before they graduate. And I went, wow, <laughs> can you, can I get you saying that on tape? Because thank you very much. Um, but yeah, that, that's an example of somebody that just started picking around the edges at, at, at what looks odd. And in his case, his, his first thing, like it, how mine was building seven, his was no trauma helicopters at Sandy Hook. And you go. Oh yeah, I never thought about that. There were no trauma helicopters. No, there were there were none. And that's what you would do. I mean, if this was a real thing, there would have been helicopters landing. There would have been police barreling into the into the into the school and not sitting around, not going back to the firehouse to have a pizza party for lunch. And so I I found that to be interesting. And like I said, he he was uh he was full of information. And a guy that's not seeking attention, but he's just looking. He's looking to expose this because I think he understands that, that this is only going to get worse. It is not um, – it's not something that, that they that, – that the people involved in this grow a conscience and, and decide that they're going to uh, change their ways from now on. No, they're just going to ramp it up. And and so people say, well, why why? Why would you be – why would you want to fake a school shooting? That doesn't make any sense. Well – it depends on what your goals are. I think in in the case of uh, of Sandy Hook, this is an incremental type thing. This is death by a thousand paper cuts, and this is um, with the purpose of disarming the American public. Now, I'm not a gun fan. I will say that straight away. I I don't I don't like them. I've had good friends of mine. Of negatively impacted by guns in a horrible way. I had a, I had, I was part of an attempted carjacking. I watched a guy put a gun to my mom's head. I don't like guns, but I, I, I also don't want to be dragged out of my house and shot in the, in, in a ditch by the police. Um, and if you think that sounds a bit alarmist, and you think that that would never happen. I mean, just look back in World War II or look back in Cambodia with Pol Pot or, or you know, when Stalin. Stalin was in charge of Russia and when Mao was running China. I mean, these, these guys killed, Mao killed estimated over 70 million Chinese for no real reason other than that was part of his, you know, plan for paradise. And Stalin killed, who knows, over 50 million, according to this. So if you think these things can't happen, you should wake up because it'll be the last thing that's going through your head. I mean, besides of course a, a bullet, but you'll be thinking, I can't believe this is actually happening to me. And I don't, I'm really not trying to be an alarmist about something like this, but I think that you have to understand that the the plan is like Mao said, his quote is you disarm the populace before the slaughter. And if you acknowledge that we have insane people running this world, In general, and in the United States in particular, and you see somebody like Hillary Clinton cackling after uh, Gaddafi was killed saying, you know, we came, we saw he died, you realize that there are psychopaths running this this world and they don't they're not they don't have empathy and they're not restricted that 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 restrictor that governor is missing. From them, So that frees them up to do all sorts of unspeakable things, especially if they're justifying this in the way of – for their religion or in the way of their country or if they're saying this is going to better the earth. I mean all of these things are – this is what crazy people say. But, you and know, so the, the, the hypocrisy,
1: the, <laughs> the, the hypocrisy, too. Oh. For, for example, you take the U.K. In the 1970s, I believe it was, they were in a very deep, almost a depression, a recession. And the only thing that got them out of that was was the the uh, weapons trade nobody in their country could have a weapon but they were shipping billions of dollars to weaponry to countries that were considered their enemy and the same thing with the united states we ship weapons everywhere but all of a sudden we need to start looking at the law abiding citizens and the biggest problem in my opinion is the population That is, just paying attention to a few mainstream media outlets. And by the way, folks, they all read from the same script. The script comes from one or two places. The Associated Press, which is owned by the Rothschilds. They are the ones that bring down all that information to the rest of them. And whatever they're parroting every single night, they're not journalists. They're not reporters. They just have to look good and read from a script. And that's what gets you employed in in the media today.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you talk about Obama being uh, pushing for gun control while he's simultaneously selling billions of dollars of ara- of arms to Saudi Arabia. Right. I mean, it's just it's just insanity to uh, to, uh, you know, to to hear this sort of uh, hypocrisy is staggering. It really is. And I think, you know, you don't rise to positions of power by being a decent human being. You you rise to the, you, you find yourself involved in uh, uh, things like getting into politics. You find that you know sort of people that like to boss other people around tend to gravitate towards positions like that in politics. and then you rise up the ranks. but you can only go so far with that. At some point you you get compromised, and that's essential for these people for the politicians that are going up 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 the ladder up the food chain in, in politics. Somewhere along the line, they got compromised. It might have been in the '50s that it was like you cheated on your wife and they have pictures of it. then maybe it was uh, in the 70s or 80's you were a homosexual a closeted homosexual and they have pictures of it now it's, it's ramped up to the part you're probably a pedophile right like there's the possibility of that and then that's held over your head Be- so as you go through the ranks and move up, somebody gets dirt on you and then you're controllable forever and if you weren't if you weren't interested in doing uh, the sort of things that they want you to do, you would be forced to do the sort of things that th- they want you to do by the fact that they have pictures of you with a goat or a kid or whatever. And it doesn't – and you don't always have to be guilty of it. You know, you can pass out at a party that – when they put drugs in your drink and they'll put a kid next to you, take some pictures like something happened and then say – it would be a shame if your wife found out. It would be a shame if the media found out about this and you're going, oh my god, what have I done? And so that is how this this happens. And so people, when they watch TV and they they look at these politicians, they go, I don't think that guy's lying. Well, maybe that guy is just really good at acting because he is selling it like he like his life depends on it, because maybe it does.
1: Didn't you see John McCain recently? And I'm glad that uh, he's stepping down. Because if there's somebody evil, and that's my senator here in, in Arizona, is him, a traitor. You have to listen to my interview with John Laboutelier regarding what he did to those prisoners of war that were left behind in in Cambodia and Vietnam. But that's a different story. But did you notice a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, he was wearing a boot, almost like he had a, a, a surgery on his foot. But the next yes, week, it a, changed.
0: Yes, and his buddy... His-
1: Hillary Clinton, too. Oh,
0: did it? I was just going to say his buddy Hillary had one on, too. That must be the new accessory for uh, criminal pedophiles and and maniacs that they (laughs) or maybe they're just hiding their ankle. their ankle monitoring
1: device. Right. Hmm. Exactly.
0: You talk talk about the the media giving people, you know, sort of script the politicians are given the script to read. I want to I want to read something here. Uh, And over the course of our. Of our talk, I'm going to quote some of these because, there's, like I said, there's 500 different people quoted in here and a total of over 700 quotes. But this is an interesting one, and we'll use this as sort of a a quick little trivia question and see if people can figure this out. So this is a speech that was given in late March of 2003, and the game is – let's see who said it. It was this Canadian prime minister, Stephen Harper, or was this Australian prime minister, John Howard? And here's an excerpt from the speech, and it's about Iraq. It is inherently dangerous to allow a country such as Iraq to retain weapons of mass destruction, particularly in light of its past aggressive behavior. If the world community fails to disarm Iraq, we fear that other rogue states will be encouraged to believe that they, too, can have these most deadly of weapons to systematically defy international resolutions and that the world will do nothing to stop them. So the question is, who said this? Was it Stephen Harper from Canada or John Howard from Australia? answer is they both said it they both gave the exact same speech word for word you can go to my website you can go to facebook uh forward slash the octopus of global control and you can see the video the split screen video of the two of them giving this speech in their in parliament to their one, john, um, Stephen in, in canada and john in australia and the guy who did the video set it up so that it is playing at the same time synced Word for word, the exact same speech. So if you think that the politicians aren't controlled by somebody above them, this shows a really great example of that. They are they are nothing but puppets. They are given this script to read. They are given this role to play. And um, like I said, part of the reason why they play it and go along with it is because there's somebody that's got something on them.
1: Uh, You're familiar, are you familiar with the speech that this young kuwaiti girl gave in 1990 <laughs> uh i'm talking about Naira. N- N- you know what i'm talking about here it's one of the things that opened my mind about all these bs
0: yeah and it's in the book too it is uh it was her justification i think most people that have watched any sort of you know tv news over the last two decades remember that so we're talking about 91 the speed the the lead, lead up to the first gulf war attack and and the The young girl that was that had worked in the hospital giving, you know, describing how they took the babies out of the incubator and left them on the cold floor to die. The problem is what they didn't say is that her dad was an ambassador, uh, was, I think, the ambassador to the United States, the Kuwaiti ambassador. And that she that was her script. She was reading that and she was reading that to to create an an emotional uh, outpouring of support for this for the potential of going to war against these iraqis i mean after all how can you stand there and do nothing when they're taking babies out of incubators and leaving them on the cold floor to die except the whole story was completely fabricated it wasn't true and this isn't like well that's what you say they've come out and said that it wasn't true it is not a true story and yet we remember that we go wait a second that's not okay um i mean that's sort of a serious obviously a very serious example of that. But in that same Gulf War, if, uh, I remember the 91, January 91, when that was happening, that was the, f- that was the second semester of my freshman year in college. And I was, we were riveted, you know, I mean, this was like war on TV with the night vision goggles and Bernard Shaw's under the bed, you know, freaking out and all this. And CNN was killing it in the ratings. That's when. I oh yeah. The, you know, I remember I think, watching it live. Yeah. Oh, me too. And so uh, there's clips, uh, um, of a guy named charles jacko he was one of the the uh the guys that was reporting live from saudi arabia and there were incoming scud missiles and you hear the and the siren and you could go back i put that on uh i think i put it on my facebook page as well but you can find it anywhere where you find videos of 1991 so he grabbed that so the sirens kick on and by the way this the set looks like i mean it's such a fake set it's embarrassing it's like a fake palm tree and some Blue oh, yeah. background and, and and so all of a sudden the sirens kick on so he goes and grabs a gas mask and the other guy that's with him doesn't have a gas mask but he grabs it grabs a helmet right. so one guy's got a helmet the other guy's got a gas mask and i joke that in the book that if you turn the volume down on that and then you turn up the volume of the benny hill theme show from <laughs> the 70s it's a perfect fit because they're running around like total morons and so once again here we go to, to back to lately when cnn has come out and just thrashed people for for you know accusing them of being fake news what are you what are you talking about you guys are never in, you guys are the inventors of fake news how dare you say that we're that we're you know we're we're being uh um, we're inaccurate in calling you guys a bunch of uh, a bunch of phonies you've been showing us this for 30 years i mean it's 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 an embarrassment but that is you know that's just the state of the mainstream media these days and i think
1: that um well, so that's how they showcase, too. That's how they showcase their new weaponry. Remember the B-2 okay. bomber, stealth fighter? I even have a good friend, a veteran of a defense company, Raytheon, and he was one of the people behind the creation of the Patriot missile. And he told me, the Scut missiles was what gave us the opportunity to get all the billions of dollars that we needed in order to make this happen. But also, this girl, at Ny- at Ny- at Nayira, Hill. will and Knowlton, in case anybody says, oh, you guys are just speaking BS here. Hill and Knowlton was the public relations company that trained her on what to say. And believe me, that was the the moment, the moment where the people in the United States fell behind the military in order to invade Kuwait. And for anybody who doesn't know, Saddam Hussein came to the United States ambassador, Gillespie, and said, they are, the Kuwaitis are slant drilling. They're taking our oil. And she said, well, you have to do what you have to do. We're going to turn the other way. Well, he was set up and we know what happened. That was chapter one. Chapter two is what happened to him in 2003.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, I got a great quote from Paul Craig Roberts. It says, no one outside America any longer believes the U.S. media or the U.S. government. You can't believe a word the American media says. If they say anything correctly, it's just an accident. (laughs) I think about that when I'm watching the news and I'm going, you know, this whole Russia, 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 uh, Putin is the devil type thing. It just reminds me of McCarthyism back in the 50s and how how if if you dare stand up and and speak out you know to to, to call them out on, on this garbage they just label you un-american i mean you look no further than bill maher with his first show he had the audacity to, to say that the war in iraq was totally um unjustified and, and it shouldn't have happened and they threw him off his tv show so i mean you you can see what happens when you go against the uh um you, when you go against the big controllers the, in the media or in the government they make you pay for it and um uh, it, it, yeah, so so setting, I mean, setting up Saddam Hussein uh, to to invade Iraq or to invade Kuwait, saying you know that he got to do what you got to do. I, that's kind of on him if for him to believe the united states is sort of like that you kind of feel like were well, you big dummy why would you ever why don't you know that they're out to get you anyone that is the 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 united states ally right now should be looking over their shoulders because we have a long history of screwing over the people that we we considered to be our friends and if you get out of line your plane blows up and then the new person is is uh um is injected into that country's uh political, uh, system at usually at the top. And that's the way it goes. And and so for the United States government and the United States media to devote 24 seven coverage to, to Russia might've influenced our election is the ultimate hypocrisy because what has the United States been doing for a hundred years in influencing other countries elections? I mean, it, to think that we don't do it is just completely naive and it's, um, I just wonder. I mean, I wonder what people in other countries must be thinking, just rolling their eyes, like, I cannot believe they're even saying this. This is such a preposterous statement. Yeah, oh, oh, Russia with a hundred thousand dollars swung an election in which they spent, you know, billions of dollars were spent on advertising. How about this? How about maybe Hillary Clinton lost because she's a horrible human being? And she and if you lose to Donald Trump, the problem isn't Donald Trump, the problem's probably you. And if you had billions of dollars of advertising, a sock puppet could have beaten Donald Trump. Anyone could have beaten Donald Trump except for Hillary Clinton because she has so much baggage and she is so unliked by the vast majority of people that uh, – and she's got so much dirt on everybody else. Everyone I think was afraid to tell her, you know, uh, Hillary, the people, they don't like you. <laughs>
1: like This is not going to be a good – but – They don't want to die. They don't want to say that. They don't want to die and, or commit hope. suicide.
0: Right, of course. I mean, you've got a the, so so the you know I I bash like I said I bash America, but I am an American as well, and I do that because I think that it's important for us to see how unbelievably corrupt and hip, hypocritical the people running our government can be. It's not to say that the people are the people typically are I would say good people, but we're very easily influenced. All of us by. Things like television and and you know media in general and the repetition of it all, whether it's uh, you know hearing the same story a hundred times and it sort of gets pounded into your head, or whether it's going to the movie theater and watching you know um, Argo and or uh, you know Pearl Harbor or something, you know where they just glorify the United States as being this beacon of freedom. Meanwhile, like we're committing unspeakable war crimes around the world and nobody's allowed to talk about that you know so uh, i i i i feel like it's the first step for this changing is to be aware of how messed up it is and the, i end the book very positively actually I and mean, i think i feel like there's there's a lot for us to be grateful for and there's a lot for us to look forward to we certainly have the ability we have something that most people forget we have and that is we have the numbers we have the ability to uh, change things simply by Standing up together and saying, "We're not doing that. You know, we're not we're not participating in this nonsense anymore. We're not going to allow you to take our children and send them off to some foreign country to get smoked by somebody because you're working for
1: Exxon or Halliburton." Let, let's let's dissect that what you just said because I just read in the news. I'm going to read a few headlines, you know, in a few minutes, but I just heard that there's a new report coming out of the military saying that they're having a lot of trouble recruiting. That for every 10,000 people that they interview, only 50 qualify. You know, pretty soon they're going to have to lower the requirements. Just like uh, George Carlin used to say, in order for you to get to college, the only thing you need to have is a pencil.
0: Right. Yeah. And they they want it that way. I mean, who... I understand that there is a percentage of the population that that wants to join the military because they they think that they can do good things that way. And I also understand there's a percentage that doesn't have any other options and they join the military. And there are some probably some very good um, habits that get taught through the military is certainly discipline and accountability and self-respect and things like that. That's not the problem. The problem is that when you take these kids and you and you sh- ship them off to some foreign country and you and nobody can ever really figure – get a straight story or straight answer as to why they're there. We're not tw- quite sure. So why are we in Afghanistan? Well, we're spreading pe- peace and we're helping the – free Yeah, we're helping the – what are we doing here? I don't know what we're doing here. We've been here for um, – it's 17 years as uh, Jimmy Dore says. In three more years, we'll, that war will get a gold watch. So – it's it's embarrassing that we've uh, especially in the, looking back on the 80s when we saw the russians get sucked into afghanistan and everyone in america was shaking their heads going this is going to end badly this is going to drain their this is going to be the end of them and sure enough it was well guess what we walked right into that trap in 2001 and if we think the same thing isn't going to happen to us we're crazy because we're flushing money down the toilet and some of our best people are getting killed there and 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 We're destabilized. We're just creating unbelievably bad karma everywhere, and then and then acting in surprise when things come back to haunt us. Um, We we should we should I think the first step is to acknowledge that we have a government in place that is not looking out for our best interests. We we always make this big assumption that you know the the country's a bit screwed up, and these politicians, you know, they just they're soak they're they just they're not you know we we can't get them to do what it is we want them to do they're supposed to be representing us and and yet things are always getting broken they're so incompetent they're so damaged and they're so all these things and until you realize well what if we changed the assumption what if we assumed that their goal was never to help us out but their goal was to was to work against us then look at what they're doing well now it's different because now you say well well, then I guess they're maybe not as competent as I thought they were, they were because if their goal is to screw us up at the order of their bosses, the people that have financed their campaign, then they're actually doing a very good job of, of what their job is. We just assumed it was a different job description. So once we understand that maybe the people that are in positions of power that we assume are there to look out for our best interests are not and they never were, we just are the last to figure it out.
1: Well, what you said in the book – ninety some percent ninety some percent of our history as a nation has been at war only a few years, five last century I believe it was from thirty five to forty because we were in this isolationist attitude after the the depression but aside from that we've been at war all the time and folks i'm going to say it right now because you know people like Charlie and I because we do this, we seem to be able to connect more dots because we're not watching CNN or Fox or any of those echo chambers of the left or the right. But I'm going to tell you something. For the last few years, you've seen how we're trying to get Syria because it's all about a pipeline. It's the pipeline, folks. That's it. But Russia comes along and stops it. But they're finding on Achilles' heel in Russia. In the last couple of days, there are a few... Spies in, as you probably know, in the UK that were killed, poisoned, or or murdered. Now they're blaming Russia. Now we're not there. We don't know exactly what happened. Could it be any of the, of the intelligence apparatus of the United States, Mossad, or or MI6, MI5, that may have done it in order to blame Russia? Who knows? But take a look what's happening in Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu can be indicted. Indicted. All right, there's a lot, a lot of st- pressure going on there. So if you see a wag duck scenario in the, in the next few days with Assad again poisoning his people, which is the most absurd thing, if he hasn't learned about what happened to Saddam Hussein, why would he poison his own people if he knows that we're right there? But let's say that happens and there's a rocket that lands in Israel. They're going to blame it on Assad because Netanyahu wants the same power, and guess what? If we bring Russia to the table and Iran to the table, this is World War III starting all over again. Oh, for for sure.
0: And um, Netanyahu is on record as saying, um, let me "Get this this good quote from him." He says, uh, "I know what America is. America is a thing you can move very easily. Move it in the right direction; they won't get in the way." So th- he understands that um, that they that you know Israel in particular has found a way to manipulate the United States to do the dirty work for them. Now, if you say anything critical about Israel, you're immediately labeled as an anti-Semite. But oh, if you wow.
1: getting line,
0: yeah, exactly. If you uh, you look back on, uh, we've got uh, let, me, let me find her name. Here she, this is uh, uh, Sh- Shulamiti Alani. She's the former Israeli Minister of Education. She says she, she was she was in Israel, but she's explaining the strategy. She was explaining the, the the game plan. That is, well, it's a trick. We always use it. When from Europe some, somebody is criticizing Israel, we bring up the Holocaust. When in this country, meaning the United States, someone is criticizing Israel, then they're anti-Semitic. There you go. That's the play. That's the game plan, and that's in in my chapter that's called Student Body Right, and that is about in the '60s. Student Body Right was the play that was called at USC uh, football when it was basically just hand the ball off to O.J. Simpson. And everybody start blocking for him, and he's just gonna, we're just gonna run it to the right side, and, and because it, it was an unstoppable play, so they did, they ran that play until somebody figured out how to stop it, and nobody did, and they wound up winning the national championship. And I've, I've, I've speculated that, that Israel has their version of student body right, and that is whenever anyone criticizes Israel, you just call them anti-Semitic. It's a play that works over and over again, and they're gonna keep running it until it stops working so you know that is their that's a strategy of theirs and um and another strategy of theirs has been to inject people into our political system that have dual american israeli nation- uh, nationality citizenship and uh the in the book i i put a list a list of all the people with the white house that, and in the senate that have i'm not talking about being jewish i'm talking about being dual citizen us and israeli and the list is surprisingly long, with names oh, that you hear yeah. every single oh, day.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, th- we 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 watch this geopolitical chess match happen, and and um, you have to stand in awe and 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 watch how a country so sm- small as Israel has been able to very under the radar uh, establish themselves as one of the most powerful countries on the planet. And it's uh, and that would be fine. If they were dedicated to making this world a better place, but I, I look at the treatment of the Palestinians and I just think, you know, how dare you, you know, how this is such a, for, for a group of people that were treated so horribly in the thirties and forties in Europe to then do that to another group of people just seems to me reprehensible. And, And that's my opinion on it. And I, and, and I think that, um, I think that what they've done in, in Palestine is, is is unforgivable. And by the way, wow. I usually leave
1: uh, this kind of a topic, if you know what I mean, for segment two, because the first part we usually post on YouTube as well. And I've noticed that if gotcha. there's any talk whatsoever about this, and by the way, it's already done, so we, we have it. But every time I talk about this subject and I leave it on segment one that goes into YouTube, guess what YouTube does? demonetizes it if demonetizes not- it removes it, it warms me they haven't given me a strike yet but it's always the same thing why because there are two organizations behind youtube now that are the ones who have been deputized to select anything that and they have the technology to anything we're saying they have the algorithm to recognize it immediately and that's apac and that's this south uh, southern poverty law center. Those two. So, when they hear this, they're going to say they it immediately. But let me just read this quote from October of 2001. Ariel Sharon, who died a few years ago, and by the way, for many years he was in a coma. I wonder what caused that coma. But he said <laughs> uh, in 2001, uh, Wednesday, that refusing to heed incessant American requests for a ceasefire with the Palestinian would endanger Israeli interests and turn the U.S. against us. At this point, a of Sharon reported Reportedly turned towards Paris, Simon Paris, that is, saying, every time we do something, you tell the Americans, we'll do this and we'll do that. I want to tell you something very clear. Don't worry about American pressure on Israel. We, the Jewish people, control America and the Americaness. The Americans know it, unquote. So, and and, and with all these false flags that we're seeing, I hate to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop right here about this subject. I want to talk about that in segment two because i know they're going to shut this down but i have something to tell you how can people buy the book before we take the break the octopus of global control
0: you can buy it on amazon you can get it in the form of a paperback or also as a kindle ebook and um and they discounted it which is nice of them so i think it's like $12 for the paper book, paperback and and $8 for the kindle so yeah it's a lot and if it like i said if there's somebody in your family that is that is unsure on the fence or maybe has a hard time with some of these topics Buy the book. Send them the book. Let me be the bad guy. Let me explain it to them. Maybe I can get through to them in a way that that you haven't been able to, just based on the fact that you know it's. You know, I kind of get a little silly in there. And these topics, um, I try to connect the dots as much as I can, to borrow a term from, from David Ike. But because I think that's important, I think any some of these events just one on their own don't look like much. But once you back up a little bit, and you see that they're connected to other events, you go, wait a second, that either is the biggest coincidence in the world, or that's organized and orchestrated to happen. And once you see that, then you start to t- examine things that you've always, uh, you know, believed and, and And of course, that is a very, that's a very big task. And I, th- I don't think a lot of people are, are up to that task of having to that we learn history and and I did it and I did it you know a little bit at a time but I realized that um, you know the things that I believe to be true a lot of times they were not and um, and, and although I' and there's although I can understand people sticking their heads in the sand and just going la la la, la I'm not hearing this there is um, something about me at least that I I, I felt like I just I, I owe it to myself to to figure this out as much as I can. And I'm not trying to say that I have it all figured out, but I I feel like I've done a pretty good job of connecting some of these points together. But I've done that in part because of the words of other people. So this is not me so much as it is... um, The people that have come before me with these, you know, that have talked about these events and I, and I tried, I just, I think I'm good at organizing things. So maybe I just organized it in a way that, that helps to make sense. It's a gigantic book, but but it's a 540 page book, but don't be intimidated by that because you can read the chapters pretty easily. And I put a lot of bullet points in there because I like bullet points.
1: Well, the way I always say that all this stuff is a jigsaw puzzle. I always say that when I'm ready to kick the bucket, when I'm 100, let's hope that I live that long. I want to be able to have a jigsaw puzzle on a wall, and every time I find a piece, I just put it on the wall. I want to be able to have a clear picture. And I have to tell you, your book, 500, and yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's end this
0: first. Let's end this first segment with with this quote from go ahead. Stephen Bassett, the executive director of Paradigm Research Group, yeah, speaking of jigsaw 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 puzzles. It's such a great one. This is in the first couple pages of the book. He he put it in a way that I love. Imagine if the truth was a huge jigsaw puzzle, a big box with 20,000 pieces, and it is the truth, the absolute truth. It is a picture of the world as it really is. You come into this world, you get an education, you're handed this box, and the idea is to put all the pieces together. And if you put the pieces together on this huge table, it will be the truth about the world that you live in. So you set about to do that all good a wonderful thing except there's a problem turns out that the government that you are living under has made a decision to interfere with this truth process it's a political decision being made for political reasons to serve the state almost never the citizens so the government has taken a whole bunch of those pieces out of your box and has thrown them away they're missing well that's a problem but it gets worse they've grabbed a bunch of pieces from another box, another puzzle, and thrown them into your box to your puzzle. And now you have to put this thing together with an idea that what you're going to find is the truth. That is an almost impossible situation, and it is extremely effective to serve the
1: state. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, I'll tell you more of what I couldn't tell you in segment one, more octopus of global control. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere.
0: Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.